And this Go. ball in the air, deep right center Go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. And Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by StravaCraft Coffee. Remember to use that promo code DNVR20 because you will save 20% off your entire purchase of that CBD-infused, deliciously rich and potentially life-altering StravaCraft Coffee. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I'm the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. Patrick Lyons will be along in just a few moments. He is wrapping up some business as we speak. And on today's episode, we wanted to take a look at the Colorado Rockies offense, particularly through the lens of something that we did last week, which is take a deep dive at an old Colorado Rockies team, this being one of the best offenses in Colorado history, the 1996 Rockies. A lot of fun players on that team. Of course, you know it was the height of the Blake Street Bombers. A lot of familiar names that we get to jump into. A lot of, oh yeah, that guy was on the team that we get to remember in this one. As we have the conversation that I think a lot of people have uh, been wanting to have for a while. Uh, I put it off sometimes because I'm, you know, currently working on a piece that w- will continue this argument that the pitching is still the first and foremost, and maybe second most uh, foundational piece of this team. They have to pitch. Uh, they have to focus on starting pitching. Then they have to focus on the bullpen, and then after that, they can try to get guys who can hit. And we'll learn a little bit about why that is today, but still. Sometimes going through and looking at some of the guys who have figured it out, who have managed to hit well, uh, who've done the big slugging thing here in Colorado, compare it to what the Rockies have now and try to figure out how they can bring in a complement of players. You know, as much as I disagree with the kind of extreme consensus that the Colorado Rockies offense is really just Nolan Arenado, Trevor Story and Charlie Blackman and everyone else is a bum Uh, I I think there's more to it to that, and we'll dive into that more at the end. Um, Still, it is the case that those three guys uh, for the last several years here have done the heavy lifting for the Colorado Rockies. So the question that we've got to ask ourselves again as we try to steer ourselves toward productive and constructive conversations about the Rockies as opposed to the same old banging your head against the wall and, and wanting radical changes that are just never going to come or probably not. Um, I think there's a a really interesting conversation actually to be had here by looking at some of the offenses of the past that have worked and uh, particularly uh, some of the free agents. Then once we start to get into uh, free agents or guys that might get traded out there, Uh, Patrick mentioned a particular Yankee catcher the other day uh, that we're both very interested in. Those are the kinds of bats that we're going to need to identify so that it makes sense when the Rockies go out and acquire somebody and we're not totally you know, blown away by, say, Daniel Murphy not being able to hit. Um, and, and, and that still remains a pretty puzzling thing. I'm not sure we're going to be able to solve that particular problem. Uh, but some of these other ones are interesting. Now, for those of you who were here with us uh, last week, uh, the first time we did this sort of Rockies retro, we need to we need to officially brand this. We need to get the people in on the graphics because I think we'll. We'll do a few more of these. It's really interesting. Uh, We ran through the 2014 season. And you may still be asking yourselves, why? Why why did you start with 2014? Well, because according to the numbers, that was the best offense the Colorado Rockies have ever put out there for 162 games in a baseball season, ever, um, with a 102 team OPS+. And that team only won 66 games. But it would be 
very misleading for me to suggest that therefore offense doesn't matter at all or they shouldn't try to be good at hitting right that would be an absurd conclusion to reach and i mentioned several times during that conversation that the counter example to a lot of what i said last week about this tremendous offense that took the rockies nowhere was in 1996 the one time really in rockies history where they had a great offense that now and i'm sort of giving away the end here just a little bit quite nearly drove the rockies to success um the the end of the story here is that in 1996 that team managed by don baylor general managed by bob gebhardt finished 83 and 79 which was third place in the nl west and they did not make the postseason so we'll get into why that was but i i think that there's still an argument to be made that this formula this could or maybe even should have worked that the rockies could have hit their way to extraordinary success and so while the 2014 team does have the technical crown for being the best ops plus in team history and therefore arguably the best offense in team history i think the 1996 team is a far better argument for a great offense when it mattered right they, it wasn't just a collection of guys who happened like they were a really good offense that quite nearly drove the team into the postseason and so uh first i think and uh we may have patrick in here pretty soon yep there he is um you with us there patrick all right uh i'm with you i'm reporting here from the scene of my home office and the dnvr boulder studio that's right that's right uh, so as I was saying there, you know, last week we talked a lot about that 2014 team and I used them as an example of a great offense that no, went nowhere here in 1996 as we dive into it. Uh, I think we get a really interesting example of what a great Colorado Rockies offense should look like, would look like, in theory, can look like almost straight down to the position. And so I'll, we're just going to get into it right here because this is uh, it's a great team to remember. Y'all, you, you remember the names. You, you know them. You love them. Though you may not have remembered, if you read Manny Rondawa's book on the Blake Street Bombers, you did. And, and I've got to uh, make a confession time about that book. My favorite chapter by far was the one about this player, Ellis Burks, because I learned so much. I, you know, we were all, let's all be honest with ourselves, Rockies fans out there especially too if you were at the time you loved Larry Walker and Dante Bichette and Andres Galarraga and Vinny Castilla and Ellis Burks was always kind of the fifth Beatle he was always kind of that guy that you know he was there was great and you appreciated him when he did certain things but I remember you know the calls for him to to be moved out and, and I don't feel like he was always as celebrated as the rest of the group and he's not remembered as you know, some great player in Colorado and he had his injury problems, but in that 1996 season, he was an MVP caliber. He didn't win MVP, but I mean, he was a monster at the plate. Yeah. Ellis Burks definitely was the Stuart Sutcliffe of the Blake street bombers. And uh, those of you that know your Beatles history very well, Stuart wow. Sutcliffe would have been the bassist. Uh, before they replaced him, and Paul said, I, I can just do that. I mean, I'll do the drumming too, on top of it all. Ringo, yeah, get out of here, Ringo. Great job. Here, let me fix it. But you're right. I, Burks definitely is, you know, all forgotten. One of our, our buddies from, from Sabre, Joe, has a really great Ellis Burks story. Uh, uh, he'll have to share at some point. But I think it's because, you know, he had less of those big moments. You know, you think Vinny, you know, I don't know that Vinny had too many huge moments, but he just kept coming back. And he stays a huge part of the organization. Obviously, being a Mexican-born uh, ball player, I think that has a lot to do with his popularity. Again, Larry Walker, Hall of Famer, Dante Bichette, fist pump, opening up Coors Field, and Andres Galarraga just hitting 600-foot 
bombs everywhere he went and right. destroying pitching, being an MVP caliber candidate and immediately, you know, taking an expansion franchise and making them a legitimate contender right away. They bought when the stock was low and boy, did it ever pay off. And then fifth is Ellis Burks who went and, you know, made a nice little name for himself when he was in Boston and uh, didn't really you know, entirely come to fruition as Red Sox fans were hoping that he'd be, you know, the next Carl Ustremski, if it, if it were, uh, Dwight Evans, Jim Rice, they would have settled for any of those guys, of course, uh, two of those three Hall of Famers, but he, it just didn't happen. Then Burks goes on and, you know, plays with San Francisco and kind of has a career elsewhere. And you go, oh, well, he, he wasn't a true Rockies guy. And, you know, you can't necessarily say that about all of the guys in that group. You could say that about Castilla. You could say it about Larry Walker for sure. You can say it about Dante Bichette. Maybe not Galarraga. But those right. those first four guys just provided so many unforgettable memories. Ellsberg's was just a consistent grinder. Straight up. And a great defender, which always got lost. And he could really field out there in center. And, and he had bad knees, too. Yeah. He had bad knees. He didn't have great knees, but was somehow able to – get what what he was out of that and that's why you have some incomplete seasons in his career where you see that you know he didn't have you know he had less than 120 games in a season but was just he was he's a very underrated ball player for the late 80s through uh through the 1990s very underrated yeah, yeah. You, you gotta read manny's book in the chapter on ellis burks if if, if you're like me and you consider yourself like a semi-expert on the blake street bombers and a lot of the Walker and Bichette stuff's going to be more walking down memory lane and remembering the first time you heard that story. The Ellis Burke stuff was like, man, even I had a chance to witness it and I didn't appreciate I was 10, but still, I was appreciating the other guys and I wasn't appreciating Ellis Burks, who in 1996 at age 31 put up an OPS plus of 149. That's, again, that's higher than anything that anybody on the current Rockies, Blackman, Nolan, story any of these guys they, they've never even come close to that he hit 333 on base 408 slugged 639 with 40 home runs and 128 rbi in 156 games that's 211 hit a 200 hit season where he also hit 40 home runs uh, he scored 142 runs just like holy yeah mm. that's Dude was an absolute baller, as you said, with Manny's book. You know, he talks about the fact that Burks was uh, a teammate of Jim Morris. The uh, this isn't a music. This is not a music podcast here. I feel like we're talking about Beatles, Jim Morris. No, no, Jim Morris, uh, the rookie, uh, played by right. Dennis Quaid in the fantastic Disney live action film. Also uh, a musician, yeah. so <laughs> keeping the theme rolling. That too, yeah, yeah. Burks was 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 a just a fantastic player, and you know he had to he had to move on when he did. But those that team, as you said in '96, as you you eloquently kind of started off by saying, like all of the pieces, all of the elements were there. I mean, it's the same team in '95 that you know went to the playoffs. Uh, you know, barely got in, was the first wild card. Regardless, they were at the top of the National League, and they should have been again in 96 had everything kind of played out in that exact same way it, of course as we know it it didn't they were a couple games over over 500 and that's one of those lost seasons that if you could have it back if you play it over again you know how many times if you do it 100 times over how many times do they actually make the playoffs and i would i would tend to think of probably a little bit more than you know 50 percent more times yeah, than not, the, um, they are making the playoffs if you do that season over again. And no, we are not using our time machine to go back <laughs> in history for this. We've learned our lesson. Sorry, Drew. Huh. We're not doing it. That's not what we're using it for. We're going to use it for something line. a little more important than that. Interestingly, just because, you know, I've, I've got, we've been putting these numbers together. You and I have been, I'm using them for that article I talked about earlier um, that I'm working on. I, so I just checked on the, uh, the Pythag, and they actually outperformed their Pythag in 1996, which is interesting. But there's one huge element to that that, that we're going to get to in a minute that uh, is very similar to uh, something that happened in 2014. But uh, as you were talking about, then the next couple of players after Burks, you know them, you love them. They complete a trio of players who hit over 40 home runs for the Rockies that season. Patrick, three guys hit over 40 home runs. Next on the list in terms of OPS plus, though, 
was Andre Scalaraga with his 127 mark, hitting 304, 357, 601, 47 Yonkers, 150 ribbies, uh, 119 runs scored in 159 games played. He hit 39 doubles, three triples for the big cat. Um, <laughs> but he did strike out 157 times. Uh, so that was one thing. And again, one thing, of course, we remember this is the 90s. This is the height of the, the steroid era. And none of these statistics, the 150 RBI, the 47 home runs, those were not good enough to lead the National League. No. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were not. And, and it's interesting now that, you know, we dive back into those numbers and we take a look and say, you know, what was the impact of the steroid era? Well, the fact that we're calling it that, you know, lets us know, okay, there's something different going on. <laughs> right. Right. That right. like already you go, all right, Galarraga hit 47 homers, 150 RBIs. Maybe he was in the top five in MVP voting. Like it's not a guarantee because everyone was putting up numbers like this and you go oh my god they had three guys who had 40 home runs four who had 30 or more and you yeah. have a hall of famer and larry walker who sure you know he missed half the season but you've got that kind of offensive output you say well this is one of the the all-time just greatest teams ever and you know they they weren't because a lot of teams were that amazing you know right. for for better or worse and that was just you know how the game was played at that point still the early days of of Coors field you know, we're talking about only the second season played there. So, you know, definitely hadn't wrapped our head around what was going on there. What's really surprising, you know, and, and we'll get to it in, in a bit, is just how many players didn't even hit 10 home runs. So, yeah, the Blake Street Bombers, they had – you had three guys hitting 40, a Bichette 31. We'll get to Larry Walker hitting only 18 and a half the season. Nobody and else then- hit more than eight. No one what? else is in double digits. Absolutely, absolutely crazy. But what's really interesting to me, Patrick, and again, there's a longer conversation to be had on this. As I've stared at these stats, you know, for weeks now and today, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, the Colorado Rockies offense is almost always weirdly imbalanced. And there almost always seem to be three or four guys doing a great deal of heavy lifting. And they very rarely have a bunch of guys in that like 90 OPS plus range. What I think separated this team as while those other guys weren't raking, they weren't hitting the big home runs. They were at least contributing. So we'll talk about Castillo and Bichette in just a second, but those guys who were in that category, you just saw one right there on the screen. If you're joining us for the live, you know, Walt Weiss putting up an 85 OPS plus and playing really good defense at shortstop for you is perfectly acceptable. If that's your worst hitter in the lineup, by a clear margin. And so, you know, that's, I think one of those guys who he was, he was a batting average guy. So it wasn't going to play well at Coors field hitting 282. Again, if your worst hitter, remember we're talking about, it's a little bit of a different era. It's pre humidor, those kinds of things. Sure. But um, to have those guys, I think the better examples of it are probably Eric young senior and particularly Jeff, you know, Eric Young Sr. put up a, a 98 OPS plus by batting 324. So he did what we call now a, a Ryan Maltapia. Actually, we should probably call it an Eric Young Sr., but Ryan Maltapia did an Eric Young, uh, but without all the stolen bases. Same idea, huge batting average, no slugging. You get donked for being at, at Coors Field. But Jeff Reed, with his 90 OPS plus from the catcher spot, Tell me, Colorado Rockies fans, if you wouldn't take this out of your catcher. 284, 365, 419 with 20 doubles and eight homers, 37 ribbies out of your catcher. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like they they provided some length. They actually had a little bit of help. Yeah, he put the ball in play too. You know, struck out 65 times, walked 45. So, I mean, shoot. I mean, that's 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 only a, a negative 18 difference between how many times you're, you're striking out versus yeah. getting on base with a walk. So, yeah, that was a, a lot of productive. Steve Decker played really well, I think, that season also in a very – you know, limited role of former Giants backstop. So, yeah, there were a lot of elements there for this team to, you know, be really good. And 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 the next season, Walt Weiss, you know, was even better in 97. And you think, okay, what happens if, you know, you, you, you've you got him doing a, a little bit better job there at the top of the lineup? And and Eric Young, like you said, you know, uh, had, had an overall good season, probably got caught stealing more than you would like. You know, he stole – um, yeah. what 50 some bases but 53 but 
got caught 19 times. So that's probably more than you would have liked. Maybe even even ran uh, the team out of some rallies at time. We now know if, if hey, if you can't steal at 75% or greater, it's it's pointless. So yeah, when you got these guys hitting doubles numbers of 39, 34, 45, 39, just stand at first base, let the ball go in the gap. You'll score from there. Yeah. That's yeah. Earl Weaver, Earl Weaver, you know, he, he said like, it's, it's all about the three run home run. And uh, fun fact about the, the Blake street bombers. They're the only team in history to hit multiple back-to-back three-run home runs. I don't know how it's possible, but I'm pretty sure a couple times in the 96 season, Bichette hit a three-run home run, Galarraga came up next, then hit a three-run home run. I don't know how it's possible, but, hey, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be the Bombers. Totally. Uh, They even had a solid off-the-bench hitter, one of my favorite names in all of Rockies history, you know, Quentin McCracken. And his 290 batting average, 363 on base, 410 slugging, uh, mostly in uh, pinch hit roles. He, I, I do think he ended up having to take over quite a bit uh, once Larry Walker uh, came out. And that is, if you're wondering, the famous collarbone season uh, where mm. Walker was. And, you know, he wasn't having the best season of his career. In fact, he was having literally the worst season that he would put up in Colorado. Now, that's still a 116 OPS plus where he hit 276, 342. He slugged 570 with 18 home runs, 58 runs driven in and just 83 games played. So that's a, so we last, last week we talked about how there was this giant irony that the best offense in Colorado Rockies history, one of their biggest drawbacks was Carlos Gonzalez having the worst season of his Rockies career. Uh, but he put up like an 83 OPS plus that year. And the fact that Larry Walker put up a 116 OPS plus in his very worst season. Well, that's part of the reason why he's going to the hall of fame. <laughs> that's, that'll get you in the hall of fame right there, Patrick. Yeah, that's, that's obviously a, a key difference and do, do the little things well and the, the big things will take care of themselves. And yeah, it is a shame that if if Walker would have been healthy for that season, Imagine. you know that 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 definitely could have flipped the difference, no doubt. I think McCracken, you know, still would have had some decent playing time there coming up as as a rookie, and you know, I thought he did well in in center field. Uh, in fact, I think Burks ended up playing most of the season in in center field uh, for that reason. And you know, McCracken would have been a great guy off the bench, especially in the postseason, coming in as your pinch runner, quick guy. He's he McCracken is the reason why I will forever love at least the idea of the New Haven Ravens because during that time I I even collected like minor league cards like Upper Deck had a set for minor leaguers and that was always really intriguing to me was anytime Upper Deck put anything out it was fantastic just the pictures were so glossy you had the hologram on the back and Quentin McCracken you know again was one of those first New Haven Raven players and with that name that just jumps right out of you he was he was their top prospect for a while you know i, I will forever love quentin mccracken and the new haven ravens that should be uh the title of a jazz album quentin mccracken and the new haven ravens that's album that's a band i mean that's, yeah right <laughs> right sure actually yeah it's, it's much easier a band of course. i honestly think you could probably sell more tickets right now at red rocks if you sold tickets for quentin mccracken and the new haven ravens than Hootie and the Blowfish. Like, I think people are like, I don't know who those guys are, but you know what? I'm not going to see Hootie. Um, I'm going to give Quentin McCracken a shot. I don't know what kind of music he plays, but it's going to be good. You know it. It's going to be quality. You know, it's going to make contact. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think that works. So what was the problem? Well, grab your Breck brew, have a couple of sips, chill a little bit, because it's going to get tense and familiar to, well, it's going to, We'll argue about how familiar it actually is. It certainly feels that way. But you'll have your Breck brew. Uh, maybe you've got yourself the Palisade peach, maybe the Avalanche amber, whatever you prefer. Those are the best seasonal ones for me right now, going back and forth between the amber, the Palisade peach. I'll always reach for that hot peak IPA if it's time for an IPA. But you know that the best place to get it is down there at the farmhouse. They've got open, socially distanced, beautiful outdoor dining, or you can just call them from noon to 8 p.m. at 303-803-1380 and use that code DNVR because you'll save five bucks on both the food and the beer. And you can start thinking about 
Well, if the 1996 Rockies hit so damn well and even had some depth with guys like Jeff Reed and EY and Quentin McCracken and, you know, the only thing really to say about the offense is that they could have done even more if Larry Walker had been there the whole year. And that team might have, despite what we're about to talk about, still made the postseason. But you might think to yourself, well, the pitching must have been an absolute train wreck. And I'm here to tell you, friends, that on surface level, that's not necessarily true. And this is where we have to start really using our, our big kid brains and, and thinking hard about what some of these numbers are telling us. Because according to ERA+, Plus, the Rockies had four starting pitchers who were right around league average. We, we just went through, you know, what the league looked like at the time. So you got a 105 ERA plus out of Armando Reynoso and 106 out of Jamie Wright. But barely above average, right? Not, not great, but it's above average. Then you've got Kevin Ritz and Mark Thompson with 98s. So again, solid below average, but not super terrible below average. And then rounding it out, Marvin Freeman who had just a few years before put up the best season in Colorado Rockies history, putting up an 86 out of the fifth spot, which while not great, the Rockies have seen much worse out of their fifth rotation spot at times in recent memory, you all know. And so this really is going to be upset because I'll say this in, in Marvin Freeman's defense, as you said, yeah you know, put up one of the finest seasons in team history. Uh, Freeman was seven and nine. So again, you talk about a guy with a 604 ERA and you're like, oh man, that's bad. Uh, not, not that bad. Cause he was only seven and nine. So again, obviously got some, a lot of run support from that offense. I'm sure, you know, he was on the hook for a couple of games, but then, you know, the bombers were able to tie it back up, but that still just kind of belies the point of like, Hey, you know what? That was, okay enough for the for the time and again as you're essentially number four number five starter it's not too bad yeah this is where you know so let's go through the raw eras because i've been purposefully structuring this entire conversation around era plus and ops plus and the, the main reason i do that is because i'm speaking the common language right fantasy fans out there star trek people final fantasy people we're speaking the common tongue right this is the language of the analytic age. And while I do believe that these statistics have some drawbacks, it is still the case that when somebody is explaining to me why the Colorado Rockies offense isn't that great, they will do so in terms of OPS plus and measuring each one of the players by that statistic. And so it is important that we at least understand and have the right language to have this conversation, but here's where it gets interesting, right? So Jamie writes, 106 ERA plus best on the team came with a 493 raw ERA and Armando Armando Reynoso's 105 with a 496. No one's writing home about the quality of barely sub five ERA guys and no front office is going to think, yeah, we've got a solid pitcher here. So Patrick, was it maybe the case that our infantile understanding at the time was underrating Jamie Wright and Armando Reynoso? Are these stats maybe giving them a little bit too much credit for the fact that it was at Coors Field when you're giving up that many runs? It's, you know, where, where are we at here with this, these particular numbers? Because that's tough to, to say, a, God, a 496 ERA is above league average. Yeah, I I still think there is a lot that can be tweaked with these type of statistics. There's still a lot. I'm not going to say that we don't know about the game or, or or these statistics and these numbers, but I think there, you know, we're we're still uncovering new ways to can try to contextualize uh, these kind of things. But I think for the most part, they are relatively on point um, because they're right around, you know. Average, like if we're saying 100 is is average, you know those ERAs for that time were 
essentially average. We talked, it was the steroid era. It was a time in which, you know, guys were just launching home runs left and right. And, and managers and, and teams were not of the mindset that, you know what, that's fine. If we have to go to our bullpen, we're still going to win this game because we've got these flamethrowers, et cetera, et cetera. No, that's not the case. Now the game is, is essentially backwards of like, look, we can get specialized people for one inning at a time or even three or four batters at a time get the opposing team out. And actually by stacking these guys up, it makes it even more difficult and complicated for the opposing offense to be successful. We, we were not there yet in the mid nineties. We were very far from it. So it was, it was still about the starting pitcher trying to go out and do what he needed to do. And if that meant in that, you know, inning six, when you could have come out and had a a course field quality start five innings, three earned runs, you were going back out there and say, hey, let's see what happens. If, if I have to leave and they give up another three-run home run, that's fine. I'm still going to finish out the sixth inning. I might even come out early for the seventh inning. It doesn't matter you know, if i got to face the, the likes of, of Barry Bonds and Jeff Bagwell, Mike Piazza. Again, these, these guys that just hit totally. mad home runs left and right and guys that weren't as well-known for that. Again, we – we talk about our guys, the Blake Street Bombers of, of Vinny Castilla and Andres Galarraga, Ellis Burks, and, and Dante Bichette. But to the rest of the world, who who are those guys? Like, oh, you mean like Derek Bell in Houston? Okay, that's an example. Oh, yeah, like Greg Buehler, Mo Vaughn. Yeah, Greg Vaughn in San Diego. Like these guys that you go, well, they're not all-time greats, but at that time, they were really dominant and they could hit. And they're again second tier guys, not now, not on this '96 Rockies team, because we said no one hit more than eight outside the Bombers. But there are other seasons in which you had guys going out having those big kind of seasons, and it's one of the reasons why ERAs were as inflated as they were at the time, where the ball wasn't juiced, the people were. Yeah, right, totally. And Patrick, there you you've brushed right up on on the final bit uh, of the puzzle, I think, for this team that really may have been their actual undoing. I, I buy your analysis there, and I'm still sorting through that honestly. The, the the starting pitching there, because in my baseball heart, it doesn't it doesn't feel right to call those guys league average. But this final piece of the puzzle, with everything else that we've looked at so far, makes me suggest that it is. And so, uh, you know, I've got to get the brain to work on it. But one of the ways that I make sure that the brain is sharp, ready to go, take some classes at MSU Denver, man. They will make sure that you are all set up, whether you're trying to get a new degree, uh, finish up an old one. You just want a new skill. You just want to learn something fun. I have, uh, it's, it, it is amazing to me the, the, the way I had to be dragged into learning when I was 10 or 11 years old and just how much I seek it out now. And there's so much on YouTube and and things. There's so many things you can go and learn uh, for free. But if you want to learn some at the absolute best level, some of the things that are really going to help you succeed in life and, you know, have the proof to say, look, I've got this skill under my belt. Well, then you got to go to msudenver.edu slash online They've got great teachers, great programs. They're responsive. They understand how this internet learning thing works. They're not just figuring it out for the first time, throwing it together as a plan B. It is their plan A, B, and C. They do digital learning better than anybody in the world. So check them out at msudenver.edu slash online. And you got your brain all sharpened up. And ready to look at this final bit of the puzzle, which is, of course, the bullpen. And and here is what blows my mind, Patrick. We said, I can't maybe this was yesterday's podcast where we basically said, you have to have four relievers. You can't have three. And that is exactly the case here. This may be the strongest, most obvious case of that having happened. Because what we just ran through, they had four pitchers who were league average and, and a fifth starter who kept them in more games than most Rockies fifth starters have done. And Patrick went through the win loss record there. Then they had three guys in the bullpen who were actually their three best pitchers by ERA plus and all had solid, not great years, but very solid with Bruce Ruffin, Darren Holmes and Steve Reed. 31, 31, 132, consistent. They were they were all right there with their, you know, above league average. Again, the raw ERAs, not great. 
but the drop off after is just brutal. The next best, if you just want to go by ERA plus is all the way down at Bill Swift, who only pitched 18 innings. <laughs> Again, a lot of great names from the past we're getting through with a 980 ERA plus, but Curtis Liskanik, of course, people remember him being a huge disappointment uh, with all the fanfare when he was brought in, you know, a, a, a Brian Shaw, Wade Davis before, well before time, right? Had all the stats in the world that had been excellent elsewhere, comes in, puts up an 84 ERA plus, a 623 raw ERA uh, is not good. Only manages to collect six saves before losing the closer gig. Um, and uh, Mike Munoz uh, picking up 44 innings of 79 ERA plus, uh, not good stuff out of the bullpen. So when you, when you only have three guys in the pen, uh, you, you can't hold up. It, it does not hold water. You need to be able to hand the ball to somebody. And that's probably part of why, you know, Reynoso and Ritz and these guys are going out there in the seventh inning. Like you talked about earlier, it's like, I got, I got to get to one of these three guys and not all three are going to be available for Don Baylor every single night. We know how that goes. You know, Rockies fans know from these last couple of years, you've tweeted at me. Why isn't Yancy Almonte in the game? Not available tonight. Oh, so they don't have any good relievers available tonight? Correct. It's definitely a challenge. And, you know, sometimes it can be that you get unlucky and, and your guys don't come through. And, you know, that, that was the case a little bit, I think, you know, on the offensive side. But if you go back and look at who was in the bullpen during that time, again, those three guys that were above average in Ruffin, Holmes, and Reed, you know the name, Kurt Lascana, came up through the organization. Mike Munoz is a name you know. Lance Painter, you know of the name. Other than that, outside of a couple guys that are, are basically converted starters that just fizzled out in Roger Bailey, Swift, and David Need, all of those other guys are relative no-names. I mean, John Burke was a, was a high-round draft pick that unfortunately didn't pan out. But they're all guys that they, they never made anything of themselves elsewhere. So it was just a straight-up depth issue you know if, if they had been successful elsewhere all right hey it didn't work out in Colorado or maybe they had injury issues or maybe it just you know the, the the pitching coach at the time it just wasn't working out for them it's no these guys you know they might have been the best options at the time but it, it seems as if perhaps you know they uh they had maybe too much faith in those guys and, and they shouldn't have because they didn't get support from those guys Laskanik and Munoz sure they they disappointed. Same with Lance Painter, but um, nobody else really did much of anything. You know, I think, right. I think that's what happened with Brian Ricard. Is if if he had maybe um, if, if if Swift and Bailey had not been so banged up, he would have been that that next guy in the bullpen and um, contributed a little bit better. But for the most part, yeah, they they didn't have the depth because. You're, you're going to have guys that don't have it in every bullpen across baseball, across the history of time. I mean, the Yankees have even seen it with their, their super bullpen that they've put together at times. And they've got a guy in Adam Ottavino who they just haven't pitched in the postseason. They just don't really believe in him right now. So um, it's going to happen that way. So you need depth. You need a dearth of relievers, bottom line. And in 96, they didn't have them. Right. And not to, again, put too fine a point on it, but apparently you need at least four. <laughs> and, and, or, and what I think would be really interesting to see, but the, the Colorado Rockies have never pulled off this specific trip. You know, what if they had three guys who were, who were 130-ish, you know, relievers, and then a bunch of 90s? Now, that would be really interesting to see. If you could hold it, if you could kind of tape it together, uh, you know, with that, uh, you know, depth, as you said, because here it's just the steepest of drop-offs from 130 to guys in the 80s. And 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 that's just, you can't survive that. Though it would have been really interesting, like we said, this, this is the one year where you can point to the, the offense and say, man, they might have just hit their way to success anyway. Um, there, there really is, and, and and I hate to spoil my own article that I'm working on. There's a lot of other data in there that I hope people will find interesting. But there's no other season in Rockies history where the offense did this much heavy lifting to overcome this many issues 
in terms of the pitching. And it is kind of heartbreaking to look back and go, Walker had been healthy. They might have done it. So if your formula for the Rockies to succeed is for them to hit their way to success, this is the type of team that I think you're you're looking to try to recreate to the best of your abilities. Yeah, yeah, you you have to have a, a competent offense and and you have to go and improve at the trade deadline. Like that's also this element that that teams are able to do. And again, not every team goes out and makes a huge deal. Like Tampa and LA to the best of my knowledge, I don't know that those teams even acquired anybody at the trade deadline. And if they did, it was a small piece. Like they they had their guys. Yeah, this house. deadline was weird though, but it, it was. No, no, no doubt. But but again, in years past, we've seen teams go really far and they just needed to get a, a lefty. And that's all you need. It's, again, baseball's not a, a, a one-man sport where you can totally change the tides of everything with a big acquisition at the deadline. And they can contribute and they can build that momentum. But it, it's it's not always the case. And you know, it, it is strange going back and, and looking, and we're not, again, we weren't there uh, every day covering this team and knowing all the ins and outs. But it is curious to think that, you know, after two walk-off wins in a row at home against the Mets on July 23rd and 24th, they were actually up in the NL West by half a game. And the only thing they ended up doing, to my knowledge, was acquiring a fourth outfielder in Eric Anthony from the Cincinnati Reds. So, you know, they, they, they still played well, you know, going into, uh, into August and they were still, you know, late in August, six games above 500. So they absolutely had the chance. And I, I don't know if, if something more should have been done about, you know, mortgaging the future, maybe the idea at the time, uh, by Gebhardt and, and, and Monford was, man, this is a team that's going to contend for a little while going forward. So, you know, we don't need to go all in maybe the prices were too high at the deadline but it is surprising that they wouldn't have just you know scooped up a body um w- without giving up a lot much like you know Breidich was able to do with with Lucroy and Nishek didn't really give up a lot you go back and look and you say oh, JD Hammer made it to the majors and and as is doing some things but for the most part you do that trade all over again Sungwano you do that trade over again Farswell sure. Bailey scratched the majors uh, I think last year, uh, if that, and, and this year again, you know, maybe this year's deals, you might go back and go, ah, maybe, but I don't think you gave up any all-stars. So you got to take a shot at that. Uh, and it looks like, you know, they, they might not have in 96, but they had all the offensive pieces that they needed, no doubt about it. And that needs to be emulated going forward. I'm not sure it does. I actually, I, I think I strongly disagree with that final point there because, again, the the history of the Rockies suggests that it's much more difficult to try to emulate this and that doing so, this is about the ceiling. This is about, now, again, they could have done a bit better. I, I think if this season goes, you know, you get a healthy walker, but then that's still, you know, does that give you make you an 85-win team? Does it make you an 87-win team? It doesn't make you a 93-win team from 83 wins. And so, you know, in my estimation, uh, and again, I'm, I'm working on getting all of this data out there that I still think it's far more important that the Rockies first have four quality starters, second have four quality relievers, and then have try to get over their, their three quality hitters. But it is interesting because that has been the number as well there. And we see that that's the number now that, their their worst offenses that have been successful. It's the three hitters, right? And it's been Charlie, Trevor, and Nolan. Um, but as we saw here, you know, in 96 with these guys, you don't need to add to that a player that necessarily comes in and rakes a ton in order to get the Colorado Rockies offense to bump up. Now you're probably not going to, with this current group of players, recreate Ellis Burks's 149 OPS plus Uh, we've talked about this before. Nolan's plays up particularly because of the clutch and actually so does Charlie's, but those guys with their sort of one thirties are averaging out solidly for your Burks and Galarraga comps. Right. And then Trevor's story as your Vinny Castilla or Dante Bichette type. The problem is they don't have that fourth guy. It's now 
they have in spurts and when they have when it's been David Dahl and he's played at exactly this 112 ERA plus almost exactly Dante Bichette Vinny Castilla level production out of David Dahl when he's done that you see where the Rockies record goes right like they immediately become a much better team and so that fourth wheel is extraordinarily important but to my estimation after that not only can you get away with a bunch of guys in the 90s, you should probably be trying to get a bunch of guys in the 90s because that's been difficult. That's that's harder than it sounds. <laughs> there's been a lot more teams where they've had these guys in the 130s, and then there's that massive drop-off to the 80s, trying to find the guys who are defensive first players like EY, Jeff Reed, and Walt Weiss who can still contribute on offense and don't turn into Ian Desmond, and Tony Walters and these guys who and then what we've seen out of Daniel Murphy as of late, where they're such a negative value that they're actually taking away from what the top of the order is doing. And if you can get so, for example, if you can get a 95 OPS plus out of Josh Fuentes at first base, no one's going to be like, awesome. But it might be exactly what the Rockies need. It's it's easier said than done in, in today's game, too, uh, because, again, you go back and look at those guys, and outside of Galarraga striking out, striking out like 150 times, only two other guys struck out more than, than 100 times and just a little bit above, and it's two of your star players. So you can you can take that. And now that's just so hard, and that's that's the reason why the, the Rockies were last place in walks to strikeouts. Like they, yep. they walked, I think – the least in, in all of MLB and their strikeout number was about 23%. It was towards the top. So overall the difference, they were not, you know, they, 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 <laughs> they weren't getting on, on base well enough and they were not putting the ball in play well enough. So they're doing the two things you need to do best. They were doing it worst. And, and yeah, this team had those guys that were able to do those things competently. And that's, yep. that's fine. You could go out and, and, and do that. And that, and I think it's it's similar to the bullpen conversation that we've been having for a week or so now. Is like you just need some competency, like signing guys on short term, low money deal, mid market guys, maybe even below mid market guys. Because I think Ian Desmond, yeah, he was towards the top of the market, but uh, was just a high mid market kind of guy, upper middle class, if you will. Yeah, and right. If you oh. go lower than that yeah. and shorter than that you've got a lot of options and and the Rockies kind of need some of those reliable guys. And it's hard. It's hard to say that that's going to be the big solution too, because you know, the last time they had something like that um, in 2018, all the fans said, no, 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 get rid of para, get rid of cargo. We want right. Tapia and doll. And as it turned out, you needed all four of those guys, yep. which means yep. you have to have those veteran guys not making a ton of money at first and then slowly you've got the influx of the young guys. So go out there and and get some of that depth. That's why I think Kevin Pillar is almost vital to bring him back. He's not he's not a make or break guy that you say, oh, if you don't have Kevin Pillar, this team's going nowhere. Of course not. But you need Kevin Pillar or Pillar-esque type players and one or two other guys too that are going to be able to spell Josh Fuentes at first base against maybe some right-handed pitching until he completely gets that figured out. And it's going to be mixing and matching a little bit. And it could mean because if you're bringing in, you know, at least two guys on the offensive side, a starter and three guys in the bullpen, that's six new players on your 40 man roster. Who's going, you could easily look at who are the six bottom guys on the 40 man roster, get rid of them. Well, you got to protect some guys uh, from the rule five. And again, those guys that are even on the bottom six of the 40 man roster, you're just going to lose them. You you get nothing for them. Okay, that's fine. But you could get something for the players that you know and love, and it's going to be heartbreaking to see Tapia or Dahl or even a McMahon or Yancy Almonte or Antonio Sensatella. I don't know that any of those guys will get traded, but you begin to understand why there might not be a better option or why trading those guys is possibly the better option because it can kill two birds with one stone and really improve your overall roster. But it, it's a crunch, and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to think. You're right, Drew. This is something that the front office needs to do. Go back, uh, learn from history so that 
You don't repeat the bad parts, but you do repeat the good ones. You just laid, I think, the question on the table. And, and, and this is really where it is for the Rockies right now. Based on the numbers that I've looked at, the way these offenses work, what we just laid out here today. Do you believe that David Dahl or Ryan McMahon is going to be that fourth guy? And if you do, it better be a steadfast freaking belief at this point. Now, my belief in Ryan McMahon's potential to be that guy is pretty high. But I wouldn't say that it's you know locked in concrete after what we've all just witnessed, right? And the questions are there about David Dahl's health. And that's exactly where what you're talking about comes into play. Because if I had an ironclad belief that one of those two guys was going to be a 115 OPS plus for me and play 150 games and, and solidify my top four of Charlie, Trevor, Nolan, and Dollar McMahon. And then I can get away with the Pilars and the Diaz's and the, the whoever's at the bottom, the, the 90 OPS plus guys. I see the formula in front of my face. Four plus hitters, four plus pitchers, uh, starters, and four plus relievers. That'll get you a fantastic Rockies team. It always has. And so if you don't think those two players are going to do that, you've got to decide which one of them you can trade. And that, I think, is either that, – that, that may be – entirely up to circumstances who get you who do you get the better offer for uh who do you believe a little bit more in who's more mobile you, you know whatever but it could be tapia as well if it, i don't think that there are teams out there who would who would give you a big package but maybe somebody else go wow that, no we see what he's doing we believe in it we'll overpay because we know the rockies don't think he's worth so it could be tapia and then my heart will break and i will i will cry live on the podcast we'll be here with everyone we'll, we'll have a ceremony of course but it may be for that reason the smart thing to do because I think Toppy is a shoe-in to be that 90 OPS plus and up guy, always consistently forever. And you need those dudes. We just ran through how important EY and Jeff Reed were to that 96 team. You need that guy on your team. Uh, but it only matters if you've got the fourth guy. The fourth guy is more important. The, the, the 115 OPS plus guy, you need that guy. And if you don't have them on the team, you've got to go get them. And that may mean opening up roster spots by trading away players that you like because you've gotten yourself in this situation. The phrase from Monday's podcast where we dove into the bullpen situation for the past half decade in the organization was willingness to be flexible. And the Rockies need to be willing to be flexible here talking about these four big bats because you laid it out. Story, Arenado, Blackman, and a fourth. And there are two options for them. Well, if you can't bring back Trevor Story, then you need Dahl and McMahon to be your three and four guy. And you might as well offload him if, if you don't think you can do it. You know, in, in, in 2021, you also say, well, all right, we got to bring back Trevor Story. Okay. Well, Dahl has three years of control after this year. McMahon, I believe, still has four years. Right. And Charlie Blackman is getting to the end of his contract and end of his career. So is he one of those big dudes? If not, that's okay because you still have Dahl and McMahon to be three and four. But now you've got an albatross of a, of a contract. And maybe you want to, again, create some more room for Sam Hilliard to, to throw his hat into the ring and, and other players right. of Right. of his ilk. So it, it it's almost getting to a point where the Rockies may even have their back against the wall to make a trade somewhere and, and make a choice, make a decision, not so much a decision whether to tank or not or to rebuild or not, but just how can we maximize this potential on our roster for years going forward? Because Story only has one more year as of right now. Charlie Blackman is on the on the downswing of his career. I still believe he's going to be, you know, a very quality contributing member of this club. But what happens after that? What happens in 22, 23 and 24? And again, with this roster crunch and you got to protect guys on on the 40 man roster, there are some coming up, you know, the Riley Pints, say what you will, Colton Welkers, Brett Boswell, there's there are a few names there that you have to protect. You also need to bring in 
some new players, most likely via free agency. And it it's there's a lot of moving pieces to try to figure out. And it could be that the best option is to offload some talent in trades and try to bring back more in free agency. It's it's gonna be I don't know that it's going to be interesting. It should be interesting. Oh, I think it will be. I think it's going it to be very be. interesting. But is it going uh, to be? No, I don't know that they're necessarily going to, you know, trade a fan favorite. Uh, we all know that right. they can get kind of, you know, cold feet about, you know, sure. trading a guy like Dolan McMahon. And uh, and uh, honestly, there's there's as we just went through, there's plenty of argument for keeping both Dolan McMahon. You may need Dolan McMahon. If you can't re-sign Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado opts out, you may be building your entire team around Dolan McMahon. And so, you know, it, it, it's not that there's, uh, like you said, it's just that it's the, the push is coming to shove. It, it's not this offseason. I think the thing that'll be interesting about it will be to see if they do get out in front of it a little bit, because I know they know what's coming. They need, they're they behind it. They're already behind it, I feel like. Well, I mean, they're in my estimation, they're not if one key thing happens. And I think it could happen actually in the next couple of weeks. They sign Trevor Story to an extension that everybody more or less likes. You sign Trevor Story to an extension. And now you have, even if you have to move Nolan Arenado at some point, you know, you you answer, I think, the Charlie Blackman question with, we'll grow an outfielder. Maybe Zach Veen will be ready for that. Rockies grow outfielders on trees. Who knows? Um, but if you've if you've got story, and you still do have McMahon, Dahl, Hilliard, Rogers, you know these guys around, then you know what your team core is moving forward. It, it, it's story in the gang, and then maybe Nolan's around as well. If not, then I think you're totally right. Then then they're behind the eight ball. If they're playing catch up and they can't extend story, and and now it's all about oh shoot, well can we trade story or or is Nolan more or do we need to trade? Nolan, or if we trade Nolan, does that mean we can't sign Trevor? Then you're 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 totally screwed, right? But if they can work out that extension, I think they reclaim a bit of of um, leverage just in general through, throughout the league, and, and and sort of for themselves to be like, okay, here's what we have, and here's what we can move around. Again, here's where we can be flexible. Here's where we can't, right? Um, but then I think that would almost necessitate. You know, very strongly considering trading one of those other two younger players of of Dollar or McGann. And if you could get a great package for David Dahl, I, I love the kid. And, and I always had, and I still believe in him. And, and I'm sure if the Rockies traded him, he'd go play 160 games for somebody and just put up monster numbers. But it's rough out here. The the altitude's not great for him. The, the, the injuries, you know, and it's uh, it's not maybe the best environment for him. And if, if the city of Atlantis had a team, so again, we're talking below sea level, David Dahl would play 192 games every season. I don't know how. I think they have a different schedule under there because, again, there's extra oxygen. There's Again, it is a two-to-one ratio to the hydrogens to the oxygens down there in the city of Atlantis. Nevertheless, David Dahl is your totally. star there. But now, you- I, I, I want to say this, and – I, this is just the way that my brain operates, and my wife tells me all the time I, how I, I'm able to compartmentalize things. And one thing I do is I try to find the, the two most extremes, so I prepare myself. Again, things going great. I don't you don't have to prepare yourself for winning the lottery, right? But what you do have to prepare yourself is, you know, for for catastrophe. Right now, um, you know. There, there's some things going on and with our with our climate right now and and there's some fires in and all around there, yeah. there's there's an, there's odds right now no matter who you are listening to this in the Denver metro area you know you're you're huffing in you know smoke inhalation all that stuff and it's it's just not a, a pretty situation so you got to prepare for the worst an evacuation so I just think of that and go hey if it's better than that or what would I do if that was the case? it just doesn't catch me by surprise that's how my brain operates so right. think about this. And not for long, because it will hurt you. Um, but in a year from now, we could be talking about stories of free agent, goodbye. Nolan Arenado opts out, right. goodbye. Charlie Blackman essentially has two years left, and he's 37 years old. and mm. Or no, excuse me, he'd be 35 years old and is took a major step down. And now the Rockies have zero stars yeah 
Okay, stop thinking about it. Stop yeah, thinking no, about that. I just want to put that out there because that's a scary thing. And that that could be something that, you know, again, either Breidich or Monfort goes, whoa, all right, maybe there's only a, a 2% chance that happens, right? Because it's we think Arenado's going to stick around. He's not going to opt out. You don't have to worry about that, especially with the CBA and what contracts are. We'll see what it looks like this offseason when guys start getting their deals. Uh, I think DJ LeMahieu could be an interesting case and yeah. say, well, let's see what he gets. And then that'll give us somewhat of an idea. Nolan Arenado is still two tiers above what DJ LeMahieu is. However, if DJ LeMahieu is only getting a three-year deal for $70 million or four years at 85, you go, how is Nolan going to go and get 30 to $35 million again in the offseason from another team? Right. He's not. So, But again, th- this could be part of the thinking. And you say, wow, 2% chance that we could be sitting here a year from now with no stars. How do we prevent that? Yeah. Are we, are that would be the first time in Colorado Rockies history that they've had a team that had no legitimate star player on it. Usually they've got at least a couple, even when they've been terrible. Right. I think you're right, 100%. I think there's always been there's always been one. And not even one that like, oh, you didn't. You didn't know he. You didn't know he was a star yet. Like he was gonna. No, like I think bona fide. They like the first one that came to my head. It was like 2013. Helton's last year. Arenado just comes up. Well, Carlos Gonzalez. He was, yeah, too you know long. What I mean? So yeah. I, they've always had one straight up marquee nationally known player. Yeah, that's why I think they're gonna throw a, a big solid extension at Trevor Story. I I bet that's right. one of the first bits of big news. Uh, I actually think the first bits of news, the first thing we're going to hear is that they brought back Kevin Pillar and everyone's going to groan and, be, <laughs> and, I, and you and I are just going to go solid move. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's how I expect the offseason to start, but Hey, it's going to be fun. You know, you, you never know. It, it could, it could be a, the, the foil. Like it, that could be the gimmick is, Hey, we made a big signing. And then Kevin Pillar comes out and you go, oh, all right. Well, we figured this was going to happen. And then they play Trevor Story's music. And then he comes out and you go, okay, that's how Trevor Story with the run. And you go, yes, NWO is finally adding new members. One hour, one minute, 44 seconds. We did it. I wonder if Trev's a wrestling guy. We haven't asked him about it. We, we, we've talked around a little bit. We asked, uh, didn't we ask Corey? And he wasn't sure if uh, there were too many guys in the clubhouse who were. I know some relief right. pitchers used to be. I um, thought Ryan McMahon once mentioned something. Again, like like he doesn't follow it anymore, but he's aware he of it. Who who they were or whatever. Just story being like a, a a Texas guy and a you know just kind of a. That's kind of biased, but I have thought the same thing. I'm like, you know I mean? Texas, he should be into wrestling <laughs> if he's a good. Surely he loves the Von Ericks. <laughs> if he's a proper Texan. He would love it. the sad thing is the guy that probably loves wrestling the most that ever came through the clubhouse is Jake McGee. He looks like a guy you go, you're, damn it, you're right. He's been to like four WrestleManias. Why didn't we ever talk him up? We had the chance, man. We did have the chance. We talked to him about he did come on the podcast one time, uh, and we talked to him about his very first encounter at the big league level was against Derek Jeter. Um, and uh, Marlins GM. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was Marlon's owner, excuse me. Uh, and of course, McGee was was known like he basically threw his fastball ninety five percent of the time back then. But he had inherited like a it was like first and third, two outs. Derek Jeter at the plate. He was like, man, I don't know what I'm I'm gonna do here. Like first pitch, threw him a slider. <laughs> so like I'm just gonna sit. It's just like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, just I. He's like, he stood straight up and just looked at me. I was like. It's the only one you're ever going to see, but <laughs> just, you know, just looking for strike one, man. It's my big league debut. You know, it's just looking for strike one. So Ooh. we've got, so in this world series, it's Jake McGee for form, your former Rocky. And I believe uh, Chaz Rowe. Oh yes. Now he's, 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 yeah, he's not on the, uh, he's not on the world series roster, but he was like in their player pool. So he'll get a ring. Okay. Get a ring. Go Chaz. Did he ever play the big leagues for the rocks? I feel like he did. I feel like he pitched twice. 
maybe. Maybe not. He, he was at one of those. Uh, it would be strange if I knew a Rockies minor leaguer that made it to the majors with another team. So I'm going to say, yeah, he, he must have. I feel like he must have. I'm going to look it up really quick as we're signing off. <laughs> I need to know he all a, the Hasbro information. He had a cough of cuppy. Yeah, let's let's see here. And I did mean to say that. Let's play a yeah. game of search, search, hurry up and search here. Who can, who can do faster? Came up, made his debut with Arizona, then New York, Baltimore, Baltimore, Atlanta, Atlanta, and now he's with the Rays. But I know so no, okay. The system. They traded him to Arizona. I'll figure out the rest of the Chaz Rose story that I'm sure all of you are just chomping at the bit to hear. But thanks for hanging out. This was a really fun one. We'll continue to look at some of these old seasons throughout the offseason because, I, I again, as Patrick said, you you don't learn from your history. You're doomed to repeat the mistakes. And uh, sometimes you can learn some things that you can try to repeat and recreate here too. If if it is your mindset that they, they got to go in all offense, then study this offense. Learn what, what made them click and figure out the way to punch that extra little bit forward so that it can carry them through. Here's what it takes. So the, all this stuff I find absolutely fascinating. Appreciate y'all hanging out with us. Make sure you're following on social media at Patrick D. Lyons, at Drew Creaseman, at DNVR underscore Rockies. You got to subscribe to the DNVR.com so you don't miss out on any of the written content. Plus, you get discounts on hats, shirts, masks. You get a bigger beer when you come on down to the DNVR bar. So many fun pluses to being a member of the DNVR community. Plus, you just get to say that you're one of us, which is pretty cool. And we are one of you. We are all one of each other. Hmm. The grammar got interesting there at the end. But <laughs> I know you've hung through with it because you were always absolutely awesome out there. We are always absolutely Patrick Lyons, Andrew Creaseman in here. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.